All right, Rabotai, uh, it is uh, Pirkei Avot season. So uh, we'll just uh, say over a, uh, a piece uh, appropriate to the first Mishnah. Oh, the first Mishnah is well known. It's talking about the Misira, the transmission of the Torah. Now this transmission is a transmission that's done from Rav to Talmid. It's an oral transmission, which means that we're talking about over here, Torah Shabal Peh. Torah Shabal doesn't really need a transmission. Get a copy of the book and read it. Shadabenu made copies of the Torah and gave it to all the Shabbatim. However, the Torah Shabal is a closed book and the details to follow. The Geomer Vilna says, Vaydaber Adonai El Moshe Lemor. Vaydaber is the text. Lemor is the perush of the text. Vaydaber Torah Shabal Lemor Torah Shabal Peh. Torah tells us to put on tefillin. But without Torah Shabal Peh, we don't know the details. We don't know that they're square. We don't know that they're black. We don't even know what to put in the tefillin. And we're not too sure exactly where to put them. If you're going to follow just the Torah law, you'll put them between your eyes. The Gemara will have to come and tell you it doesn't mean that. The same thing with the Lulav. The same thing with the laws of Shabbat. Very few uh, pesukim, but a lot of a lot of transmission in Torah Shabal Peh. So Moshe Rabbeinu gave over that uh, that tradition to Yeshua, and then of course Yeshua would give it over to the Zekinim, etc., until it went to the Achikinis to Gedola, until ultimately it comes down, it comes down to us. The problem with that Mishnah is the Gemara in Eruvin Dafnun Dalit. The Gemara in Eruvin over there discusses how the Torah actually was given over in great detail, more details than our Mishnah actually has. The Gemara there says that. Moshe Rabbeinu came down from the mountain and uh, he taught the Torah to Aharon. That was the first stop. He took Aharon in the tent and he taught him the Torah. And after Aharon finished learning, I guess they learned Shas, I don't know what type of record time they finished Shas. <clears throat> so Aharon moved over to his right side and then uh, entered uh, El Azar Itamar, the children of Aharon. And Moshe Rabbeinu taught them while Aharon was still, was still listening. So that's Aharon's second time already. And then after Elazar Tamar finished, so they moved over to the sides, wherever they were sitting, to the right, to the left, that's a whole discussion in itself. And then the Zekinim came in, the elders. And Moshe Rabbeinu taught the Torah a third time, this time to the elders. And then uh, Aharon is still there. So Aaron is hearing it already for a third time from Moshe. And then after he finished, the Zikini moved over to the side, and then the Bnei Israel came in. And Moshe Rabbeinu said it again. So therefore, Aaron heard it four times. And then Moshe left. And now Aaron would start to teach it over to whoever was remaining. So he would teach it to Elazar Tamar. So when Elazar Tamar heard it from Aharon, that was their fourth time. Then Aharon walked out, and Elazar Tamar taught it over, and the Zikinim heard it for the fourth time, 
and then they walked down, Zekinim gave it to Bnei Israel. so ultimately everybody ended up hearing the Torah four times. Uh, and the Hakamim learned from over here that learning is not considered learning until you learn it four times. So don't, don't, don't ask me any questions until you learn the Da'a four times. You can't have uh, a Limud until already it's established four times. And that's why they say that the typesetting on the Shas, when they typeset in the Shas, if you see the Rashis, they always have four lines on top in order to remind you that this daf to be properly learned and understood, you should repeat it uh, four times. After four times, then everybody can start to make your uh, analysis. <clears throat> and the, uh, the Mefarshim come along and they explain that uh, there's a Maharsha, that what's the benefit of learning four times? Why should you learn it four times? So he says, because after four times, you can be considered learning Torah Lishma. There's different motivations that a person might be seduced into learning. And ultimately, the highest level is Torah Lishma. One of the seductions is that a person wants to learn for Kavod. And he wants to be called Rabbi. You know, he wants to be called Hakam, uh, Gaon. So therefore, it motivates him to learn because he'll be able to put Rabbi Doctor before his name. And then you have another person that's motivated to learn because he wants the reward. They told him, Tamu Torah keneged kulam. And if you learn Torah, you're going to get a lot of reward in Olam Abba. Therefore, he wants the pras, as we say. He wants the prize. And then you have another one that's motivated because he wants to make money. They told him, uh, it's a, you get a good salary. I don't know who told him that, but somebody must have told him that if you become a rabbi, they'll give you a good salary and they give you all sorts of uh, tax benefits and parsonage and, you know, you don't have to pay this, you don't have to pay that. Well, my accountant hasn't told me any of this, but nonetheless, he thinks that he can make some money off of it. So the, uh, the Maharsha says, an incredible hadush on this. He says, the Hebrew letter for learning is Lamid. Out of all the letters in the alphabet, Lamed is Limud. Lamed, Lelamed, to learn. And he goes on to say that uh, four letters in the Hebrew alphabet have a Lamed in it. Understand what we just said? Four letters have a Lamed in it. An Aleph has a Lamed in it. A Gimal has a Lamed in it. A Dalit has a Lamed in it. And a Lamed has a Lamed in it. So he says the word agudal. <coughs> he says, what's the lesson? He says that represents the four times you have to learn. The first time you're learning is Aleph. Aleph is so you be called, you want to be called a scholar. In Hebrew, Aluf is a scholar, is a, is, a, is a chief. So therefore, the limud is because Aleph. He wants to be, you know, called a scholar. And then you have Gimal. Gimal is Melashon Gimol. He wants the Gimul. He wants the reward. So there's a Lamed over there because the second learning he's still not purely motivated. And then you have the Dal. Dal is Melashon Dal because he's poor. He wants to make money. He wants to become rich. So therefore each uh, word that has the Lamed in it represents a compromised Kavana. The Aleph so it can be called Aluf. The Gimal because he wants the Gimul. And the uh, Dalit, because he's Dal, he wants to become rich. 
The Lamed is L'shem Limud Torah. So that's already Torah, L'shma. So that's why they figured that when you, by the time you review it over and over again, already it purifies the intention. So therefore you're learning it ultimately, L'shem Shamayim. The, um, uh, the Hakamim, I saw from uh, Rabbi Schlesinger, may live be well, he said uh, from the Igra de Pirka. The Igra de Pirka has a Hidush uh, in Ot Shin Lam Zayin. Ever see when the rabbis learn, there's an old custom, they, uh, they play with their beards. You know, they go like this. Anytime you see the rabbi, you know, playing with the beard, rubbing the hand across the beard, so that means they're pondering. And why is that the, uh, you know, the go-to pondering position? You put your hand on your beard and you... So, he explains it in a deep way. <coughs> uh, the Zora Kadosh tells us that the points of the beard on the face, actually represent the 13 midot of Rahamim. If you remember Tashlich, for example, when we make Tashlich, when we're mentioning the 13 midot of Rahamim, El Kamocha, Nusavon, Vavavar Pesha, we mention the 13 points of the Dikna Kadisha, Dikna is the beard. And we say, oh, the point next to the ear, that's connected me El Kamocha. And then the left side is, there's points over here that represent Midat Rahamim. That's why the beard is considered Kodesh, because where it is, the face, that represents the Yudgim al Mechilan de Rahame. And uh, we know that there's 13 principles that the Torah is Nedreshet by him. If a person wants to study Torah, he needs to know the rules. The rules of extraction. How do I extract Hedushim uh, from the Pesukim? So you have to know, there's a Kalbahomet, there's a Rashavad, there's a Binyan Av, etc. And we said many times from the Tzaddikim that the 13 Midot, Shaturan Edreshet Pem, are directly linked to the 13 Midot of Rahamim. And anytime you activate one of the uh, Midot of Rahamim, or you connect to one of the Midot of Rahamim, it connects you to one of the Midot of or vice versa. You connect to one of the Midot of Shadrach, it's connected to the, they're on the same frequency. That's why we explained once from the Ben Ishai that when, uh, when Miriam became a Mitzorah, uh, she became a leper. So what happened? Uh, she had to go into quarantine. Okay, She didn't have COVID, but she still had to go into quarantine. quarantine. They, didn't have a, they didn't have a vaccine for Tzara'at. The vaccine for Tzara'at was just as effective as the vaccine for COVID. <clears throat> and therefore, she went, into, uh, she went into quarantine. So it says that uh, God came along and uh, said that she has to sit in quarantine for seven days. And what was it based on? was based on a Kavahom that a Kadosh Baruch Hu made. The Kavahom it was that if her father, if she had done something to her father and her father is rebuking her, the father would, you know, send her out for at least seven days. But now that she has been chastised by God, 
she should be sent out for 14 days. But we have a rule that says when you make a kavahomed, you can't learn more than the kavahomed itself. So therefore, Borei Olam said seven. So God made a kavahomed. Moshe Rabbeinu understood the value of why God had to make a kavahomed. Why couldn't God just say, let us stay out of the camp for seven days? Now, let's let one of our members clear their voice first. Looks like he needs a sucking candy or something like that. Oh, there we go. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, so why did God just tell Moshe seven days? Why do you have to make a cover home? Why make it so complicated? And the explanation they say is because he was making a cover home. Because once you make a cover home, you actually activate the first midah of Rahamim, because Kavahomer is the first midah of the Yud Gimel Midot. And what's the first midah of Rahamim? El. And as a result of that, what did Moshe Rabbeinu do? He prayed, and what did he say? El narefan Because God had activated already the midah of El by using the, or by making the Kavahomer. So that was God's way of saying, okay, I've just opened up the midah to El, which is Rahamim, was mercy, therefore Moshe Rabbeinu took advantage. So, there's direct links between uh, the two. I once said, uh, you know, how many, how many times do you have to blow the shofar on Nosh Hashanah? Don't tell me 101 times. That's Midrabanan. Mena Torah, you only have to blow the shofar nine times. Now, the way we got to nine is a, you know, there's no pasuk that says, that would have been too easy. Actually, it only says, Yom Teru'ah. And we know that a Teru'ah comes in a pair of threes. comes in a package of three. A Teru'ah has to have a Teki'ah before it and a Teki'ah after it. So when it says Yom Teru'ah, it means Teki'ah, Teru'ah, Teki'ah. So all I know is three. However, it says the word Teru'ah three times in the parasha. One legabe Yom Kippur, Yovel, uh, one legabe uh, uh, another case. So we make a Gezerah Shavah, and we say, Teru'ah, Teru'ah, Teru'ah. All the Teru'ahs in Hodesh Tishri are compared to each other, and therefore it's nine. So how do we know nine? From a Gezerah Shavah. And I asked a simple question. Why not just tell it to be simple, and you don't have to go around the, around the bend? And the answer is because what is uh, uh, Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah, you're asking God for mercy. You need mercy, the home. And therefore, what Midah activates mercy? Gezerah Shavah, which is the second Midah. So when you take out the Shofar, already you're taking out the Shofar that its origins comes from a Gezerah Shavah. So the Gezerah Shavah turns on Midat Rahamim. So it's not only the Shofar itself that brings mercy, but it's the derivation of Shofar, which is Gezerah Shavah, which actually activates <coughs> Rahum. So that's why it's a gift of God to have these Midat Rahamim in place. And vice versa, by the way, vice versa. If anybody comes to the Dafa Yomi, you'll, you'll, you'll hear me say many times, that whenever we learn a kavahomer on the daf, I say, today's your lucky day. We just did a kavahomer. We've activated midat il. You're going to have a good day in the, in the office. And any, any, any of the 13 midot, for that matter. You know, gizra shavah. 
Rahamim. You're in good stand. So therefore, since the beard corresponds to the 13 Midot Rahamim, so when the rabbi is having a hard time understanding, he starts playing with his beard, activating the 13 Midot, which will connect him to the 13 Midot of Rabbi Ishmael, and therefore he'll have a better ability to make derivation. So look at that. Even something so, uh, you know, for granted, like uh, playing with your beard, already has a, has a reason. Everything is a reason. To the tzaddikim, they don't do things stop. Everything they're doing is a reason over there. So, Rav Shlazelinger says, well, based on this, we can explain another Menhag Yisrael. Menhag Yisrael is when they're learning, the rabbi wants to make a point, what does he do? He takes out the thumbs. You know, and they start thumbing away, this way and that way. And it's, a, it's one of the, uh, the Kli Umanut, one of the tools of the trade. You need your Gemara and you need your thumb. And sometimes, uh, you know, what the Gemara can't explain, the thumb can. You know, a lot, a lot of the learning comes from the thumb. You know. Chavavadiah once said <clears throat> on the Pasuk, that when the Jewish people uh, were attacked by Amalek, it says they were attacked in the Fidim. And it says, why was it called the Fidim? It says, their hands became weak in Torah. So he says, how do your hands become weak? Torah is in the brain, not in the hands. Another Ashkenazim, Rafu Yedehem. The thumbs weren't uh, thumbs weren't clicking enough. Rafu Yedehem. So, Rav Shazinger says, where they got the Benag from? So he says, because since we told you that there's four letters in the Hebrew alphabet that have the Lamed in it, which represents the four types of Limud, the Aleph, the Gimal, the Dalet, and the Lamed. And where does that spell? Agudal. And what's Agudal? A thumb. Therefore, we're connecting to the four, the four letters of Limud, and therefore that becomes already uh, a minhag to do. So, Tabotai, all that's very nice. All that's very nice. Only problem is we have the million dollar question. In Gemara Erubin, when it's giving us the Seder of the Mishnah, the Seder of the Limud, Yeshua is not part of it. The Seder is Moshe to Aharon, to Elazab Itabar, to the Zikinim, to the And our Mishnah says, no, Moshe Kibir Torah, Mishinam Sarali Yeshua. So the Chara, we have a discrepancy between the Mishnah of Gemara Erubin and the Mishnah of the Mishnah. Will the real Mesorah please stand up? How do we, how do we square off this, uh, this Gemara? So, we also know something else about, uh, about Yoshua. Yoshua, it says, was a very diligent student of Moshe Rabbeinu. Lo yamish betocha ohel. So he was, he was always in the oil. So we once explained, based on this, is a famous derash. Yoshua's name was not always Yoshua's, you know, it was, it was Hoshea. And Moshe Rabbeinu made a name change in Parashat Shelah. Moshe Hoshea Benun. 
Yeshua. Now, I, I always thought that if you make a name, cha- name change, you don't need a, uh, a donor. It's not like blood. You know, Hashem has, uh, you know, it's not the wheel of fortune. Can I buy a yud? The yud's there. But it seems that it doesn't work like that. It seems that you need a donor. You can't just throw a yud in someone's name unless you have a uh, sponsor. So who sponsored the yud of Yeshua's name? Yomara says, uh, Sarah. Originally, Sarah's name was Sarai. Now, some learn that actually God took the Yud of Sarai, which is a $10 bill, and made two fives out of it, and gave Sarah a hair and Avraham a hair. So that's how, they, uh, that's how they got the hairs from Avraham. That's one way to learn it. But another way to learn it is that, now Avraham got the hair from a different, uh, a different source, and the Yud was just taken and put in, in uh, storage. And uh, the Yud came to God and has claims. And everybody has claims. Everybody has claims. That's the bottom line. So now the Yud has claims. Okay, what's the complaint? Complaint is, you know, uh, I was connected to a tzaddiket, and now you put me in uh, Geniza. You know, it's the big idea over here. Uh, uh, it's not fair. And Bari Alam is very, very fair and very generous. So don't worry about it. You, th- you think I'm going to hold it against you? I'm going to put you in a tzaddik, not tzaddik, and not only that, but in Sarai, you were sitting in coach. You were the last letter. You were sitting in the last row. In the tzaddik, I'm putting you first class. You can sit in the front of the plane. Because Yeshua, the Yud is the front of the... So what do you worry about? You get upgraded. You get upgraded. Anything wrong with that? And sure enough, Yeshua. So I said that, I mean, God could have gotten the Yud from a lot of places if he wanted to. I don't think it's just a coincidence that, uh, listen, the Yud was available and happened to be from Sarah, so Yeshua picked it up. We believe that this is preordained that the Yud of Sarah will go to Yeshua. There's got to be a connection between them. You do take on, uh, the, which means, if, if, if there's no connection between Yeshua and Sarah, so then there's a rejection rate. You know, when you do a transplant, the always concern is the rejection. So therefore you have to have compatibility. So the same thing when it comes to letters. You know, you, you can't just take Sarai's Yud and put it in Yoshua. If there's not going to be compatibility between the two, there's a rejection. The Yud's not going to be able to tolerate to be there. So all the tzaddikim try to figure out what's the connection. And I said, very simple. I said, what do we know about Sarai Menu? We know one thing. Where is Sarah? And what's the midav Yoshua? They're both found in the ohel. They're both diligent in the job. Saraz being the em Yisrael ba'ohel, tzini'ud, and Yoshua, Allah shalom, is doing Torah in the ohel, which is an interesting point because the Hazonish said what Torah is to a man Sini'ut is to a lady. I mean, when we make such a big fast Torah, Tamut Torah, that's for the men. But to the ladies, what's their uh, uh, compatible item when it comes to their focus? Focus of a lady is Sini'ut. It's interesting to point out that both are in the oil. Both are in the same place. The oil of Torah or the oil of the, of the Jewish home. So they, they both, <coughs> they both uh, uh, exemplified the Midav Ohel.
So therefore the Yud is able to be in Sarai and therefore also uh, to Yoshua. <clears throat> and there's a, there's a name is because, you know, the most humble of all letters is the Yud, the most modest of all letters, the smallest of all the letters. That represents the Sini'ut. And Yud in Kabbalah also represents Chokhmah. Yud is Chokhmah. So therefore, when it was in Sarai's name, it was at the end. At the end, it's Anua. That represents the Sini'ut. And uh, when it was put to Yoshua, it was put in the beginning, Yud is Chokhmah. Rishit Chokhmah. Chokhmah is always in the beginning. Rishit Chokhmah. Chokhmah goes in the beginning. So the Yud of Yoshua has to go in the beginning because it represents the knowledge of Torah. And the He is Bina. So Yehoshua is Chokhmah Bina. Yud He is Chokhmah Bina. Huh? And if you put a Vav in Yoshua, so actually the first three letters of his name is Yud Vav, which is already the Vak. So you have, uh, you have a lot of... Uh... Anyway... So, so that might answer the question. That once we know that Yehoshua was lo yamish it goes without saying that when Moshe Rabbeinu came back from Har Sinai to give the Torah, Yehoshua was in the oil already. He was there already. So that when Aaron came in, Yehoshua was there already. Yehoshua's furniture. I don't have to mention furniture. He was there as a kashtender. He's there. So therefore, he heard it from. Moshe, when he gave it to Aaron, he heard, he heard it more than anybody because he never left. The Gemara says he went up and he left and he walked out. He came in. He went out. So therefore, <clears throat> the Mishnah in Kabbalah is telling you the reality of it. The reality of it, Moshe Kibel Torah was Ali Yoshua because nobody heard it from, from Moshe or from the Baalei Mesorah more than Yoshua. Everybody maxed out at four. But Yoshua heard it. Uh, you know, countless times. So therefore, Elu ve'elu, as was mentioned, Devre Elohim Hayim. Now, why then in the Gemara Elohim didn't it mention him? It's because as long, the Gemara says that Pene Moshe Kipne Hama, Pene Yoshua Kipne Levana. What does that mean? Moshe Rabbeinu's aura, he shined like the glow of the sun. You know, we would say today in the vernacular, he was brilliant. Brilliance represents a, a light. And Yoshua, on the other hand, had the, uh, the shine of the moon. Pene Yoshua kapne levana. And we know that as long as the sun is out, you don't see the moon. I mean, yeah, the sun is out, more or less, and you don't see the moon, because the sun is so bright that it pales in comparison to everything else. So that's what it means. When Moshe Rabbeinu was alive, they didn't recognize Yoshua. I'm sorry. And at the time that Moshe was then Pnei Yehoshua, they didn't notice him. But Moshe Rabbeinu was so, you know, overpowering the light. When did they start to recognize the greatness of Yehoshua? When the sun set, then all of a sudden they started to see the greatness of Yehoshua come out. So therefore, 
at, at his time, Yehoshua is a matmid. You know, he's a good guy. Since Nishim all day long and learns very nice. You know, he's a mishadet Moshe, they called him. But his greatness was not recognized. So the Gemara Eruvin, it's talking about the way it was perceived. Moshe gave Taron. Let everybody know that there was a shining star that you couldn't see his shine because the sun was still lit. But once the sun moved away, already nighttime came, and then Yeshua started to started to glow. Why wasn't? Oh, so that would be a question as well. Unless you say that he's included in the general term of Zekinim, he's considered. Because he was one of the 70 Zekinim, possibly. So you could consider him as, you know, includes. They didn't give every name. They put him in the general, general speaker. But that's a fair question anyway. Where's Where's Aaron? Where's Where's Elazavi Tamad? And where's Am Yisrael? And where's Am Yisrael? Then you jump to a chicken and stick it all out. All right, so, so that, then you can say the Mishnah just gave you the. The um, you know the one of the one of the you know zikini. Anyway, for our purposes, we also understand that Yoshua never left his uh, his rabbi's uh, his rabbi's tent, his rabbi's uh, teaching. To the extent it says that when. There's a pasuk atayim lechem abirim achal ish. Maybe you heard it before. Lechem abirim achal ish is talking about the uh, the bread, the holy bread, was eaten by a man. Well, the holy bread was not eaten by a man. The holy bread was eaten by three million people. Why does David Melech make it as if there was one man that ate the lechem abirim? And the Hachamim come along and say that that's referring to Yoshua ben Nun. Because the man landed in a certain location. You know, certain zip codes got man. The man didn't land everywhere in the world. Uh, if a Jew went on business to Hong Kong, he didn't have man come into, uh, you know, into the, uh, you know, the Peninsula Hotel. But Yoshua ben Nun, he walked Moshe Rabbeinu to Har Sinai, it says. And then after Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Har Sinai, Yeshua actually stuck around and he, he pitched his tent at Har Sinai. Now, Har Sinai is not a location that is, 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 is the man. So the Pasukatilim says, Lechem Abirim Achal Ish. That Bari Olam sent a man to a remote location for one man. And that one man is Yeshua Ben Nun. And the question is, what are, you, what are you doing out there? That's why when Moshe Rabbeinu came down and he heard the, 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 uh, the voices coming back from the Mahaneh, Yeshua didn't know what it was either. He said, uh, I think it's a war. Called Melchama, No, this is not a call of a Melchama. This is called Anot. The point is, Yeshua was not part of the Egan. He was, he was next to Moshe. Now, what's the reason for this? Because Yeshua doesn't want to miss a second. Which is the second Moshe Rabbeinu comes down, already there's a light, there's an influence, there's a hashpa'ah. So there was nobody more uh, absorbed with Moshe Rabbeinu's Torah than Yeshua. He didn't leave him. 
Now, didn't leave him not as a, you know, as a, just a shamosh, but didn't leave him because he wanted to receive. And if you want to be a receiver, so the ultimate, exactly, the ultimate receiver is you got to be present. So Yeshua was always, not like some of the students, oh, uh, the rabbis uh, gave, uh, said, declared that we heard that one already. Okay, so what are you going to do? No, we'll go uh, talk in the hallway because we heard it already. But they don't realize that even when the rabbi says it already, it's a nuance, there's a new hadush, there's a different way, and you maybe forgot some of the points. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu was saying the Torah over and over, and she was sitting again, hear it again. He wants to get every single uh, item from, uh, from Moshe, and he doesn't even want to leave him for one, for one second. So that's what it means, lechem abirim akal ish. Now, I saw a beautiful idea what does it mean when it calls Yoshua Misharet Moshe? So simple Misharet Moshe means he's the the aid. Misharet, the serve, the one that serves Moshe. You know, every rabbi has a shamosh. Assistant. Assistant, exactly. In in Hollywood they call it a butler. You, know, you have a guy that does Mishamesh, gets him his drink, gets him his shoes, takes him around to the airport, gets him his books. You have a, you know, a Misharet. So we always look at it as, yeah, and who is the Misharet to Moshe? Yoshua, he's his handler, you know. When you have an appointment with Moshe, you speak to Yoshua, I'll get you in. You know, he's the guy that stands out of Rav Chaim's house. You give him a couple of shekel, and he gets you in. And he goes to the rabbi, oh, he's a good guy, came from America. Give him a beracha, he gives you a buha, and then you go on your way. So that's what we thought that Yoshua was. He's the Misharet, you know, he's the, he's the right-hand man of Moshe Rabbeinu. But that's, uh, forgive me, but that's a little derogatory. For Yoshua's status. So what is the uh, what is the mean Misharet? So I saw brought down, or Shlazika brings it down in his Birkei Avot, that there is another time in the Torah where you see those four letters, Mem, Shin, Resh, Taf. But it's not with the same Nekudot. Uh, with uh, you know Misharet, you have it in Parashat Naso by the Nazir. They refer to the uh, soaked grapes. The grapes that are soaked in water is called Mishrat Anavim. Ooh. You know that case is talking about. Nazir is not allowed to have grapes, but he's also not allowed to have water that they soak the grapes in because the grapes take the uh, you know the flavor. And the she in Parashat Naso is struggling to try to find a, a source for the root of the word Mishrat. And some of the Mepharshim say it comes from uh, the Aramaic word Sharir. Uh, Sharir is to uh, unlock uh, because, or to lock. Sharir is locked. La Shiririn. You'll not be binded by it. La Shiririn, but that can mean. When something is bound and binded, it's sharir. I call sharir ubarir. When we have a shtar, which is sharir, it's binding. So therefore, mishrat is taking what is bound in the grape and releasing it. So therefore, it's mishrat. It's taking the juice that is bound in the grape itself and releasing it into the, into the water. Some say mishrat comes from the shoresh. 
because you're taking the orange and the roots, you know, that's in the grapes and you're putting in the water. Fine. But mishnat means, in the simple, in English at least, it means to absorb. Right? It's, it's absorbing. The, when you soak something, the water is receiving the flavor of the, of the grape. So it's possible to say that that was the midah of Yoshua. It says, um shareto, Yoshua. Exactly. It was a sponge. He absorbed all of whatever Moshe Rabbeinu had. You know, there's, there's what's called in science absorption rate. You know, there's the, there's the absorption rate, and then there's the, the spillage. You know, that you can't absorb everything. You can absorb it to a certain amount, then whatever the sponge can't absorb, there's a. What is it called? Yeah, there's a, a fallout. But in Yoshua's case, Whatever Moshe Rabbeinu had to give over, he absorbed everything. There's, there's no loss in the absorption there. And that's why it refers to him in the Lashon, Ushareto. That means uh, as if to say that uh, Yoshua was totally absorbed, or the Torah of Moshe was totally absorbed into Yoshua. And, which we know that because the moon doesn't have any light of its own. The light of the moon only comes from the light of the sun. So therefore, all the light of Yeshua only came from Moshe Rabbeinu. And that's, it's not that he had his own light. No, he was positioned in such a way where everything that he had is coming only from, from the master. And uh, that uh, explains to us that when Moshe Rabbeinu gave over the Torah to Yeshua, Yeshua was the one that received it with the greatest absorption rate. He was the one that received it with the greatest uh, Kabbalah. Um, the word Mesara. If you look in the Mishnah, you'll see that the Mishnah doesn't use that word Mesara in every transmission. It says, Moshe Kibir Torah Mesinai, or Mesara the Yeshua. Yeshua the Skenim. Skenim the Nebi'im. When Bi'im Mesaruha la Chekinis the Gedolah. And the question is, that why sometimes it says the word, you know, misara, uh, and sometimes it just says no. And the Mefarshim say that anytime you're going to use the word umsara, uh, it represents that um, it represents melashon, uh, it was given uh, with great sacrifice. Melashon misilut nefesh. We always learn misara is limsor. Limsor is to transmit, to give over. But you see the word misira also used in something that's done with sacrifice. Like I said, misirut nefesh. So Yoshua, when he received the Torah, he received it with tremendous misirut nefesh. He went to Hasinai and stayed there for 40 days waiting for Moshe Rabbeinu to come down. One time, you know, you heard the tape. No, he was tremendous misirut nefesh, 24 hours a day, to be by, uh, that's why they say, that's why they say that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu prayed for Yehoshua that he should be saved from atzat from the from the sin of the spies. Now why does uh, Moshe Rabbeinu think that Yehoshua is top student who has total absorption after we said all these things, he thinks that his student is so uh, 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 influenced that he's going to get 
you know, seduced by the by by, by the Menegelim. I mean, you think he has uh, more, you know, more uh, trust in his uh, Talmud Muvak. If the Talmud Muvak of, of, of Moshe needs a little uh, uh, help, so of course you can everybody else. And the explanation is that no, he knew that it's out of the righteousness of Yeshua. Why? Because if we speak bad about Eretz Israel, that means we stay in the Midbar. And if we stay in the Midbar, Moshe Rabbeinu remains the Rebbe. And if Moshe Rabbeinu remains the Rebbe, yeah, we get more Torah from Moshe Rabbeinu. So therefore, that was, that's, that, that's, the, that's the religious Yetzirara that's influencing over here. <clears throat> so therefore, uh, he had to bless Yoshua that, and that's why, based on what we said, he put the Yud in Yoshua. The Yud is Chokmah. That means he was saying, you have the Chokmah. You received it. You have the Chokmah. I gave you Yud Chokmah. He Bina. Ya Yoshiacha. The Yud Ke. The Yud Ke is Chokmah Bina. But the Olam will, will you, you have the Chokmah. You absorbed everything. So therefore, there's no, you know, there's no reason why you cannot uh, take over, especially before Moshe Rabbeinu That Simicha is the Nyan that he put his, his hood and his splendor and his energy into into Yeshua ben Nun, and Yeshua ben Nun ultimately becomes the, the Menege of Yisrael, but it came through tremendous Mesirut Nefesh. Nobody was Mosir Nefesh in the subsequent uh, transmissions. The Yeshua's Kenim, the Kenim did not have the same Mesirut Nefesh as Yeshua did when he received it from, from Moshe. Evante? Uh, so then the question is, the last transmission it says, Unbi'im Mesirua and Chekinets Tegedola. There it says Mesirua. Explanation is, I think the Rashbet says that at the time of the Antichrist, that was already at the time of the Hurban Bayit. And already the Jewish people were being exiled. And we know that one of the greatest consequences or tragedies of exile and casualties and losses, Torah takes a big hit. When there's exile, so you don't have the yeshivas. The yeshivas are now in Galut and the People are just trying to survive. Just look what happened in the years of the Holocaust. You know, of course, the tzaddikim were learning Torah and Mishnah Nevis, but it wasn't, you know, everything was closed down. And therefore, all of a sudden, there's a regression in, in Torah. Baruch Hashem, there was a resurgence afterwards. But that's one of the, uh, the casualties of Galut. It takes a, the Gemara says in Hagiga, Kevan Shegalu en lecha bitul Torah gedola mizu. Because once the Jewish people went into Galut, there is no greater manifestation of Bitul Torah than that. Uh, that's, uh, that, that. That's what it brings. Uh, look at the Galut that we're in today. Even though you might say we have quantitative Torah, but qualitative Torah, Torah B'Kedusha, Torah B'Mesidut Nefesh, Torah, you know, today, like Rabbi Gifter said in his time, you have Torah with a Coca-Cola in your hand. Or a Pepsi-Cola, actually, he said. You know, so that's uh, it's a different type of Torah. He said, when he was learning in the Tal Yeshiva, he says, you know, they don't even have coffee. He says, that chicory. They take a little, some type of, uh, you know, herb, you drop it in the water, makes the water look black, gives a little tam. Now it's considered, you know, a big, uh, a big luxury that you get to have uh, the uh, chicory, as he called it. And, uh, but they learned to Rabbi Msidut Nefesh. He says, today, you know, the kid has to have uh, Pepsi Cola in his hand. And like the old saying goes, that they want to learn shas in one night, and they want to sleep eight hours also the same night. They want the best of both worlds, you know what I mean? I want to, I want to finish shas in a day, but you know, don't take away from my sleep. Yeah, that's a, 
<coughs> so it's clear that that's one of the, even in, my point is, even in a sweet galut like America, or maybe all the more so in a sweet galut in America, because it's so sweet, so there's so much uh, distractions and so much things that we could do and so much access that we have to the world. So, you know, Torah becomes a, uh, instead of Torah becoming a, an obsession, Torah becomes a, uh, a hobby. You know, it becomes a hobby. You know, I collect stamps, I do the daf, and that's one of the things that, that, that I do. It's not the, my uh, life's, uh, you know, addiction. It's not my life's, uh, you know, passion. It's something, uh, you know, uh, everybody's doing it, so I do it also. Well, which class do you go to? I go to the rabbi's class on Saturdays, I go on Tuesdays. That part of something. But uh, it's not your reason of existence. That, again, but that's only because there's galut. Because we can have businesses, and we can travel, and we can go. So we have the luxury to keep Torah only in the realm of, you know, a pastime. You know, it's another thing that we do, but it's not the reason. Go, go to different exiles that might have been more uh, restrictive. The Gemara says, Be careful when you see the son of a poor guy, keep your eye on him. Because from them, Torah flourishes. Why? Because they have nothing else to do. They don't have money to go to the game. They don't have money to go to the show. They don't have money to go eat. They don't have money to do nothing. So what? Put a book of it. They should read all day long. That's what they could do. They go to the yeshiva, they get lunch. Free lunch. So therefore, they have already some money in their pockets so they can go around. They can, they can gallivant a little. So therefore, you know, they can become great also, but keep your eye on the Aniyim because again, the Aniyut is actually a blessing in disguise. Because it keeps them focused on, on the books. <clears throat> so, at the time of the Anshekinist, the Gedolah, the Jewish people starting to, uh, to uh, go through the situation to endure exile. <clears throat> and what was happening to Torah? Torah's the, so now, in that generation, there was needed a great Mesilut Nefesh on behalf of the Anshekinist, the Gedolah, in order to make sure that they receive everything without, without losing anything. That was probably one of the most fragile of the, of the transmissions. Of course, under the conditions that it was given. Moshe, the condition that he gave over to Torah was optimal. <coughs> it was in the Midbar. They had no worries in the world. <coughs> and still Yoshua was Moshe Nefesh to the highest degree. Because he didn't want to lose a... Even though the conditions were actually... Favorable. Whereas that chicken is Gedolah, they needed to have Mesinut Nefesh to, not because, you know, they were being above and beyond the letter of the law. If they didn't have that Mesinut Nefesh to receive it, that genera- they wouldn't have lost it. And to their credit, they got everything. Nothing was lost in the transmission. And that's, that's the Torah that we have, we have today. That was a very critical moment that the Torah might have been a little compromised in that. And the Rashbet says that it was the zechut of the first transmission that was done by Misirut Nefesh by Yoshua that the last transmission was done by Misirut Nefesh. So Yoshua, it's like Maaseh Avot Siman the Banim almost. That Yoshua's, uh, she's the way the Torah was received initially from the first of the Baalim Surah, that's the way it was received when it was needed to be received. Yoshua set the uh, the uh, the uh, the seeds in motion that Torah can't be received in Sinut Nefesh and 
maybe in Yeshua's time it was more of a luxury, but in the times of Shekinah Tukah it was more of a necessity. And Yeshua, Yeshua did it. Uh, it should be uh, also noted that by by the first Mishnah, says Moshe kibel Torah Mesinai. Moshe received the Torah from Sinai. Of course, we know that that's not true. The mountain didn't give him the Torah. The mountain was the location. As far as we know, Moshe kibel Torah Mehashem. So you have to, you know, finesse it a little and say when it says Misinai, it means from the God that revealed himself on Sinai. You got to put in uh, parentheses, you know, in between the Mem and Sinai, you have to put Meha Kadosh Baruch Hu Shinigla Alav You got that? Now, Rav Hida has a different way of understanding this Mishnah. And he says, One of the prerequisites to be a receiver of Torah, especially, is the midata anava, is humility. I wouldn't have thought that. I would have thought, you know, if you want to be the mashkiah of the yeshiva, the mashkiah, you better be humble. But if you want to be the rosh yeshiva, you better be smart, you know. Even if you're a little arrogant, you know, that's not going to compromise your credentials to be Rosh Hashiva. But to be the Mashkiah, I would say you need to be humble. And very rare in, in outside of Torah do you see that humility affects uh, comprehension. If you go to the colleges, for example, you don't see uh, a mathematician necessarily that is arrogance is limiting his you know, professorship. As a matter of fact, some of the greatest mathematicians are the most arrogant. They go together, and there's no stira. You go to a college campus, and they all have their, you know, their pompous, but they're great teachers. So in the secular world, ga'ava does not compromise the... Uh, you know, the limud. But in Torah, it doesn't work that way. Torah is, 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 Torah is spiritual. So it plays by different rules. So what does the Hachemim tell us? Chokmah will be found from where? Where, where? where can you find Chokmah? If you're looking for Chokmah, you know where you have to look? When you find somebody that's Me'ayin, Ayin means he's a nothing, that's where you'll find Chokmah. Ve'ahokmah Me'ayin Timatzeh. Don't look in the in the in the uh, trees like the pasuk says. Lo bashamayim. Those people that are in the shamayim, they have the gavan the shamayim. Lo bashamayim. You're not going to find it in the highfalutin guys. There you'll find science. There you'll find history. There you'll find all the other uh, you know literature. But if you're looking for Torah, lo bashamayim. Not for the guys that are in the shamayim. Veish Moshe Anav mikol Adam. Oh, should have been totally effaced. That's where you're going to find them. And that's why the Arizal says that if you take Moshe Rabbeinu's name and the Mem is Mem Mem, right? The Milui. 
So just look at the milui letters. The milui of Moshe and Mem is Mem. And He is He Aleph. So the milui is Aleph. So if I have a Mem and an Aleph. And then Sheen is Sheen Yud Nun. The middle letters is Yud Nun. So the milui letters of Moshe is Me'ayin. That's his essence. And that explains us why, why they gave him the name Moshe. I mean, Moshe is, is, a, is a... Usually you give the name that represents the essence of the person. Moshe is not something that he did. Moshe, Rabbein, Moshe is something that was done to him. You understand? But according to what we're learning now, no, that's his essence. His essence is that he had no essence. His essence was that he was me'ayin. That's the token of Moshe. So even his name is humble. The name doesn't, doesn't talk about him. The name talks about something that was done to him. That's Moshe Rabbeinu. Even the name that he has is talking about Batya's accomplishments. That's what Batya did to him. What do you care about anything? It's Me'ayin. And therefore, if you're looking for Chokhmah, go look for the one that has Me'ayin. And that's going to be, that's Moshe Rabbeinu. And the Mashal to that is, if you had to give a Mashal, and it's speaking in the language of the members, which members are familiar with swimming pools. So the deeper a swimming pool, the more water it can contain. So the lower the pool, the more water it can contain. If it's high, so the pool will be very shallow. So the same thing, the lower a person is, so the more water, the more Torah is able to, uh, you know, to, to absorb. Moshe Rabbeinu, was, was born in water, and he lived in water his whole life. That's uh, the water. So Moshe Rabbeinu was in the water, he's me'ayin, so therefore he's absorbed all the waters of Torah. So, Moshe Rabbeinu followed the, the lead. Why? Because when God was looking for a location to give the Torah, you know, he could have given it in uh, Mount Everest, which would have been a you know, uh, that, 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 that's a destination uh, wedding. Uh, Mount Everest, yeah, people will, you know, turn heads. You know, where's the wedding? We're doing it in the Kilimanjaro. Okay, it's a big mountain, Hermon or Carmel. But if you tell somebody, you know, where are you making the wedding? Har uh, Sinai. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Where, where, where's that? So that's like the Havdi, it's like the Holiday Inn. You're taking us to the Holiday Inn? I mean, there's, there's the Waldorf, there's the Pierre. We, 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 we never heard it. You Google, I've seen the I, three stars. TripAdvisor, Mafia, anybody ever went there before? Nobody ever, no, no, but they never saw the place before. Just the location you picked, must have got a good deal. What's around it? Nothing around it. Wow. Hashem could afford anything, by the way. Hashem is the owner of the world. He, he, he has the lease on every mountain. So it's not like it was a problem, and it wasn't like it was booked. You know, Borelam, even if it was booked, Borelam has a way of unbooking anybody's reservation very quickly. You know, you can cancel the reservation very quickly. You know, that's, uh, you know, with, uh, one bolt of lightning and there goes the whole wedding. So the point is, God chose the location. And you say, wow, for such a great event, it's such a modest location. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, wow, that must be a lesson that God's teaching us that for this Torah, it doesn't work on Mount Everest. It's not going to work. Because Mount Everest is too, 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 too uh, assuming. Everybody knows about it. Torah's got to be in a place that's unassuming and it's a me'ayin. So Moshe Rabbeinu understood that this is a lesson for him, that if he is going to be the one, and, that, and if that's what Moshe Rabbeinu accepted the Torah because he said, 
if, if that's what the qualifications are, there's nobody, I'm a nothing, so therefore I'm worthy. You know, that, because he was an anav, so that's what the, the, the Mishnah means when it says, Moshe Kibel Torah, Misinai, he learned from Sinai. Or Misinai, from the same reason, I should say it better, from the same reason that Sinai was suitable to have that location, Moshe was the same way. Misinai. His qualifications came from Sinai. Sinai meaning Anaba, Me'ai. So far, so good? I'm saying Hadush here. I'm just setting it up properly. Even though even the setup is a Hadush, but I'm setting up the Hadush for another Hadush. Umisarali Yoshua. What did he give over to Yoshua? Moshe Kibel Torah Mesinai. That inyan of Moshe Kibel Torah Mesinai. That to be a Mekabel Torah, you have to be like Sinai. That lesson he gave over to Yoshua. And based on this, we said an unbelievable explanation. If you look at the Morris, if you go to the back shelf over there, you'll see there's Humash Mekraot Gedolot Bamidbar. Take your time. So over there, in the Humash Bamidbar in Parashat Shelah, right there, the first shelf, that's a Bamidbar. Beautiful. Shnaim So it says over here that Moshe Rabbeinu calls Yoshua Benun in Parashat Shelah. He calls him, it was Hoshea, then he called him Yoshua, as we know. But there's an incredible uh, targum on this. What motivated him to call him Yoshua? So we always learned, Ya Yoshia Khamatsat Minagidim. So if you look at the Targum Yonatan, the Pasuk says like this. He says, when Moshe Rabbeinu saw, when he saw the humility of Yoshua, Interesting. The Targum over is saying that what was the motivation of the name change? He saw his humility. Now we understand very good. Moshe Rabbeinu said he reached the Madriga. Humility is not a fault. You know, when do you usually change a person's name? Hey, sick. You know, he has an issue. Uh, make a name change. But if the guy is very healthy... No one comes into the shul and says, by the way, the guy just came back from the doctor, they gave me a beautiful report, they said he's healthy like an 18-year-old. Okay, let's open the safe house, make a name change. <laughs> make a name change? Adraba, don't touch the name. The name is perfect. Why do you want to touch the name? It's not broken. So the Chaurah, Yoshua's not broken. It says, oh, he saw that he had humility. So we better change his name. What, so he can become a Ga'va? He's not broken. The big question on the uh, on, on the uh, on the targum over here, and the explanation is, no, 
Yoshua without a Yud, the Yud is Chokmah. So therefore Moshe Rabbeinu said, we can't give him over the Yud yet. But when he saw the humility of Moshe, of Yoshua, so now we're ready, he says, we're upgrading you now. Now you are Zochet to the Yud of Chokmah. With the hair of Binah, now already you're, you're right. Which, why do you have to do it at this point? Why at this point? Why all of a sudden is Moshe telling Yoshua at this point, you're the Hakam? Because he knew, again, like I told you, Haim <coughs> Tobi, he knew that what? Yoshua is going to want to agree with the spies because he's not going to feel worthy to be the leader, and he wants Moshe Rabbeinu to continue. So Moshe Rabbeinu actually at that point is telling him, no, you got the Yud. You have the Anaba. So that's where it means. Moshe kibel Torah, misana umsara. Where do you see he was misara? says, umsara Yehoshua. Where do you see he was misara Yehoshua? At the point of the spies. He was, that, he was Moshe him the Inyan of Sinai. You following? Oh, no. He, he, at this point, he was giving him the Midah of the that to be great in this business, you can't hold yourself as great. You have to hold yourself as a, you know, uh, modest. You have to hold yourself as, you know, it's exceptional. <clears throat> now, by the way, with this, the Mekumbalim say that the only parasha that does not have Moshe Rabbeinu's name after he's born one of the only parashiyot, if I'm not mistaken, is Tetzaveh. You know? You don't even remember. It's, it's, it's a long time ago. I, th- I think I remember. Tetzaveh. The Pasuk says, Tetzaveh, Ata Tetzaveh. It doesn't say, Vedeber Hashim and Moshe Lemur. Huh? Took his name out. He was, he was deleted. For whatever reason, I'm not going to go into the reason why he was deleted, but he's not in Parashat Tetzaveh. However, that botai. Can you go one week without Moshe Rabbeinu? You can't go one week without Moshe Rabbeinu. You can't. I mean, uh, Jacob, you can't. How many Pesukim are in Parashat Tetzaveh? I counted them before I came. 101. Says the Mekubalim, 101 is Gematria Me'ayin. Mem is 40, Aleph is 1, that's 41. Yud. It's 51, Nun is 50. <coughs> so therefore, although Moshe Rabbeinu was not present in the Moshe, but all the Pesukim combined represent collectively the inside of Moshe Rabbeinu. The inside of Moshe was the essence of Moshe Rabbeinu. On the contrary, even when God was punishing Moshe, <coughs> he didn't forget him. He was telling him that it's in this Zichut that you're going to be able to receive to receive the Torah. And that's, and that's what he gave over to, to Yoshua. He gave over to Yoshua the, the inyan of the, the midah. So it's, by the way, and we go back to what we always say. It's not enough to be the biggest genius in the yeshiva. You know, Torah doesn't tell you that you have to be a genius. There is an inyan of the midot. There is an inyan of the midot. So the question then is, the Sfat Emet asks, I know we're going into overtime now, but uh, just one, uh, one more idea. So the Sfat Emet asks, great, so you gave the Torah off location. 
you know, gave the Torah in a, you know, not in a prime, as, as we would say. So then he says, what? Because you want to show humility. You know, Sinai, it's like a, it's a hill. So the Sfat Emet says, if that's the case, give the Torah in the Grand Canyon. Give it in a, in a valley. You, know, you, want, you want to show humility. You, know, you want to make the point. So you just tell everybody, you know, Death Valley. You know, wh- wh- why give it on a mountain at all? If you want to impress upon them that Torah has got to be the lower you are, so go find, give, give it in the Dead Sea, the lowest point on earth. And that's it. We're going to give the Torah the Dead sea. Level. sea. Whatever it is, uh, below yeah. sea level. Yeah, yeah so you go, go to the lowest plane and give, give the Torah there. So the Sfatimit says something beautiful. It's based also on Achida. He says that the prerequisite for humility is greatness. Which means you got to be great first. And then you have what to be humble about. You know, but if a guy comes along and says, no, 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 I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an artist. You say, okay, you're truthful. It doesn't mean you're humble. You're just an honest guy. You, now he thinks he's being humble. You know, admit, admit, you are nothing. It's true. At least you're honest. So when a guy comes along and says, you know, uh, I'm not rich, I'm not this, and you look at his bank account, balance zero, admit. So humility only begins after you start accomplishing things. The guy went through shas, and then he says, ah, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a baki, I can know it better. No, he has what to be humble already. He has something in his pocket. So, so the lesson of, of the Sfat Emet is that first you have to be a har. And then be a hard and be humble. But there's no uh, trick to be the Grand Canyon to be humble. You're a low life anyway, so what do you be humble about? You are low. Be a hard. And then add the uh, element of Sinai to it. Hard Sinai. That's, that's what God was coming to teach us as well. Don't think Moshe Rabbeinu, when he says he's me'ayin, that he wasn't accomplished. No. Moshe Rabbeinu was the most accomplished. And that's why... We once explained, that's why he was able to be the most humble, because he had the most to be humble about. Greatness is a tenai in anava. The greater you are, the more you have places to apply your humility. Yeah, we're learning it. Greatness is a tenai in anava. So the more things you've accomplished in your life, that means the more places I can apply the midah. And since Moshe was great in everything, greatest prophet, greatest go'el, greatest learner, everything was great. So to become a me'ayin when you have such a resume and you apply me'ayin to every one of these points, that makes Moshe Rebbeinu anav mikola adam. Because he was the greatest of kola adam. Therefore he's lost anav. Now, by the way, for every one Moshe, there's 10,000 that become the biggest ga'ava because of such a resume. The logic is to, to, to use that resume to, you, to, to, to flaunt. That's what Mehmet Shedebin was so great. So he was a hard. He was a hard. But he applied, applied Sinai, uh, Sinai as well. You see how, how, how great uh, uh, Moshe Rabbein was. He's the, 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 light of the, the light of the sun. But at the same time... Uh, he was able to, uh, whatever it was, to conceal it and to make it. Uh... 
So that's go back to our Mishnah. Moshe kibel Torah Sinai, and what he learned from Sinai, Misarali Yoshua, Yehoshua. And why was Misarali Yoshua when he added the Yud, Yeah Yoshiacha? Because he saw that he was very humble, and therefore he said, "Don't sabotage because you want me to to dig over you. You're not we now. Your humility is on par to receive chokmah, and as a result." You should be able to uh, take off. Okay, the more time. Stop over here. Baruch Amen. Amen.